Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bold Sidebar. This is your host, Jeff Horn, talking all things New Jersey Supreme Court. Let's start right off with a win, a win for the Winberries. This is a case involving a tax sale certificate and a tax collector's desire, along with the borough of Rutherford's desire, to be exempt from lawsuit on the grounds of qualified immunity. For those that listened last week, we had a great interview with appellate and Supreme Court advocate extraordinaire, Bruce Greenberg, and he was on this case as well. This is not something that I timed, but let's go with it. So Bruce is in the winner's circle, along with Lawrence Lussberg of the Gibbons firm, on behalf of the Winberries. So congratulations to our friends, Bruce and Lawrence in this case, Winbury v. Borough of Rutherford. In a nutshell, the Winburys did not pay the property taxes on a house that was occupied by a, an impaired adult relative. The town did what they're supposed to do, sold the tax sale certificate and an investor bought it. On the last day the property could be redeemed, a member of the Winbury family called the tax collector asking, really begging to pay the taxes so the property was not lost in foreclosure. The tax collector said, I don't have time for this today. You have to submit it in writing. I can't accept your check. This has been going on for years. Words to that effect. The Winbury family member begs and says, I'll pay over what you think it might be if you can't calculate it to the penny. Nope, wouldn't do it. The next day in the courthouse, the actual final judgment for foreclosure enters, thereby cutting off the Winbury's right to redeem. They file in the Chancery Court and they're able to upset the foreclosure judgment, pay the tax lien off, and retain the property. So that part of the story is all all's well that ends well. But in the meantime, the Winbury's file a civil rights lawsuit, a 1983 action against the tax collector and the borough of Rutherford, both of whom claim sovereign immunity, qualified immunity. We're just doing our job here. And when we're doing our job, if there's some sort of ripple or collateral damage, we are absolutely protected, not just protected with defenses, but suit against us is barred. We're immune from suit. Here at the Supreme Court, unanimous opinion by Justice Albin said, not so fast. In order to hang on to your qualified immunity, you've got to act in an objectively reasonable manner. Objectively reasonable manner is the standard. Here, the tax collector really failed to do the job, didn't make any effort whatsoever to do that which it is responsible to do, that is receive tax payments, including those from delinquent taxpayers. Indeed, at deposition, the tax collector admitted that calculating the past due amounts on a tax sale certificate can be done in a matter of minutes. It's an automated system. No one's got to take out a year's worth of tax sale certificates and a pencil and a calculator. So in a nutshell, the tax collector was found liable. Now, onto the borough. The borough said, hold on a second. Tax collector is, is sort of its own entity here, and you can't hang the borough because the tax collector failed to do the job when a taxpayer sought to redeem a tax sale certificate. The Supreme Court found that the borough 
is exposed to liability, is not protected by qualified immunity, as the function functions performed by the tax collector are those performed by a final policy maker for the borough. In fact, the court said that the tax collector is clearly a final policy maker for the borough of Rutherford. The borough had argued that the tasks carried out by the tax collector are ministerial following state statute, so they're not discretionary. Well, clearly here, the tax collector had created a whole bunch of discretionary rules, perhaps unbeknownst to anyone else, that you couldn't call up on Redemption Day and get the information you needed. So the court sends the case back for a remand. As I say, it's Justice Albin's unanimous decision. And uh, this should send a real ripple through local government because there's lots of government officials that you wouldn't think of. It's not the mayor. It's not the police chief. It's not someone you'd think of. Tax collector comes to mind, of course, because we've got this case. How about the tax assessor? How about leaders of other boards and commissions? When they make decisions or if they treat someone poorly in their role as an official for the municipality, as well as a final policy maker, do they then expose themselves and the entire government to civil liability? Interesting case. I think it's one drop in a big pond, but there might be a lot of these kind of claims buoyed by this success by these plaintiffs here. I, I also want to say my two cents here. When you're a government official, just do your job. You might be having a bad day. Everybody has one. Just do your job. If you can't do it, get somebody else to do it. Also, now this case goes back a bunch of years. This is all happening in 2007, 8, 9. We have technology. You can't tell me that they can't have a portal where you can put in your block and lot and maybe some sort of you know, identifying information and find out how much you owe on your taxes and pay and press a button and pay it. Anyway, that's my two cents on that. And then, really, two cents times two is fiefdoms. We've got 565 municipalities. They're all fiefdoms. Then you've got people that are in charge, let's say, department heads in their various capacities. So there's more fiefdoms. So we have thousands of fiefdoms in New Jersey here, all of whom are exposed to liability if you fail to do your job. So this should be a, a shockwave and, frankly, another spur to consolidate municipalities, consolidate functions, and share services. All right, I'm off the soapbox, and I am on to the next case, which is a um, labor case. Carteret, Borough of Carteret versus FMBA. This is your Firefighters Local 67. The collectively negotiated agreement, CNA, provides a couple of things. One, that disputes are resolved by binding arbitration and that captains must be on duty to run the operation. So there's four captains in the Borough of Carteret. When no captain is available to run the operation, a lower firefighter or a lower ranked firefighter is treated as the captain and paid as a captain for the day. 
Two years into the CNA, the borough created a lieutenant position, presumably to cover these these problems when you had to sort of pick a substitute uh, supervisor when none of the captains were available. So the lieutenants got lieutenant pay. They did not get captain's pay when they were in charge. They went in front of the arbitrator who said, you've got to pay captain's pay. The borough argued that when the lieutenant position was created during the middle of this bargain for agreement, that uh, everybody agreed the lieutenants would take lieutenant pay, would not get captain's pay when they're in charge when there's no other captains. The court reversed the appellate division, which had reversed the arbitrator's decision, and in a unanimous and rare, very short opinion, reinstated the ARB award. Unanimous decision authored by Justice Pierre Louis. I have two other pieces of news. Both deal with this uh, policy of elevating a judge, a senior judge from the appellate division to the Supreme Court when we have a tie. We're about to have this happen as of August 31 when Justice Lavecchia retires and our justice in waiting, Rachel Weiner Apter, will not make it through. There's no sessions planned between now and the end of August. There's not even any sessions really planned for the fall until after the election to get her through the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Senate. So unless something happens, and this is not treated as an emergency, the court will have to elevate an appellate division judge for tie-breaking purposes. I certainly hope that they will do that. Brings me back to a case I cannot get off of, the Timothy Wilty disappearance, State v. Michelle Ladzinski. Recall, it's a per curiam opinion upholding her conviction. However, it's a 3-3 tie, which means tie goes to the appellate division, tie goes to the lower court. The lawyers, your top, top lawyers, Jerry Cravatton and um, others, filed a motion to ask the court to reconsider its decision, but to do so by elevating a judge from the appellate division to be a tiebreaker on this 3-3 Ludzinski decision. So we'll see if the court grants that motion, considers that, and that might keep the Ludzinski-Timothy Wilty case alive. I will also tell you that I went a little further down the rabbit hole and reviewed a bunch of podcasts that deal with child disappearances and so forth. Very interesting. I didn't realize this rabbit hole was so deep, but I've gone down it. That's it for today. Please, if you have a case percolating, have something interesting about the New Jersey Supreme Court, please get in touch with me, and I will check you guys next week. Thanks a lot.